0: When it comes to fashioning a nimble and efficient supply chain for modern times, the biopharmaceutical industry has some catching up to do. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Biopharma has played a starring role during the COVID-19 pandemic. Researchers developed vaccines for the deadly virus in record time, and while there were numerous snags on the distribution end, we're nevertheless making significant progress in delivering the vaccines to all who want them. Taken as an industry, however, biopharma is behind the curve in adopting the new technologies that will make supply chains more efficient and responsive through the digitization of processes. Maybe it takes the perspective of someone with military experience to get the job done. Not coincidentally, that description fits my guest today. She is Maya Hansen, Senior Vice President and Head of Operations and Supply with AtherSys, a clinical stage biotech company focused on cell therapy. She describes how she supplied her experience in the U.S. Navy, where she was an officer in the Civil Engineer Corps for nearly five years to the private sector and she weighs the prospects for innovation in an industry will have to be at the top of its game to handle the next global crisis. Here's my conversation with Maya Hansen. Maya Hansen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Bob. Great to be here.
0: You have a really interesting background in logistics and supply chain expertise. I want to explore how you got started in this business. First of all, your first exposure to logistics and supply chain, was it in the military or did you have some interest before you joined the Navy?
1: Well, I have an engineering background, and so I've always been interested in how all of these bits and pieces fit together and thinking in an analytical way. But I would say the Navy was a real primer in how to think about large-scale operations.
0: Well, how was your outlook shaped by your time in the U.S. Navy? You were in the Civil Engineer Corps. You led a CB unit. You served on a NATO base during Operation Desert Storm. How did all this shape your outlook and and approach to the whole world of logistics and supply chain?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it was a great experience, and I learned a lot and developed a lot. The military, I think, is very unique in giving young officers a lot of operational responsibility at a very early age. So for example, I think I had just turned 25 and I had 40 or 50 people working for me in a fairly independent unit. And that's not that common in the civilian world. So it gives you a lot of exposure to leadership in general. The other thing that I think when you're in the military, at least in the Navy, you kind of take for granted, but I've really appreciated as I've had several years of distance from the Navy is how good the Navy is at building systems and building capabilities in their team. And if you think about, say, an aircraft carrier, and I wasn't in, in that part of the Navy, but it's just a good one that I think most people are familiar with. An aircraft carrier has about four or 5,000 sailors on that ship, and it is operating anywhere in the world. It's nuclear-powered so they're not refueling. They're operating their own nuclear reactor. They've got their own airport, which is very dangerous and has weapons on it. They're making their own food. They're basically running a city of 5,000 people. And the average age is probably around 25, maybe less than that. And to think about the complexity of that operation that they're running, and in addition, rotating probably... 20% of the crew every year, if not more. That's a level of thoughtfulness on how to run an operation that a lot of corporations don't quite get to. I think some industries are better than others, but that gave me kind of an insight on what's possible. I'm always inspired on how you can do that in other industries.
0: The way you describe the aircraft carrier, it's a huge but rather self-contained universe that you're working in. And when you get into the private sector, you get these dispersed supply chains with all these external partners that are harder to control, I would imagine. I mean, to what extent are the lessons that you learned in the military translatable into the private sector? And what are some of the issues you encounter when you try to do that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, and let me go back to the Navy, it sounds outside in very controlled, but they're all over the place, they're being resupplied all over the world by lots of other parts of the organization. So it's not quite as self-contained as it might seem. And it's also not quite as hierarchical as people think from the outside in. So Mm -hmm. I think there's more similarities. Just thinking through what is a massive global organization look like? How do you have some common standards? How are you training your organization so that it can interact and rotate quickly? And Setting expectations for your suppliers so that you're collaborating well and they understand what you need and you understand what you need to do for them to be successful, I think are some foundations that on the one hand seem obvious but don't always get done.
0: Okay. So you served your time there and then you entered the private sector and you encountered some of the issues that go on there as well. And I understand that you carved out at least partially an expertise in pharmaceutical and medical devices. Is that correct? And if so, how did you venture into that area?
1: Yeah. So I was, after the Navy and after some work at in, in the, the master's level, I joined McKinsey and Company and I was with McKinsey for uh, just over 20 years. And Had the great opportunity to be part of building the operations practice, which is a pretty big part of the work that McKinsey does now, and that practice serves all industries. Early on, I worked a lot with kind of basic industrial companies in steel and aerospace, and at a few years in, had the opportunity to work with a pharma company, and really enjoyed the work, both the meaningful nature of getting therapeutics to patients, but also the technical challenge and kind of the global nature of the supply chain Mm -hmm. and worked within a number of different pharma companies, some med device, a lot of manufacturers, but also distribution and had a really great time building our capabilities and working with a lot of great clients in that area.
0: One of the things about that industry is it's so highly regulated. What other unique challenges do you face in pharma that may not be present in other types of global supply chain industries?
1: Regulation is a good point. Part of regulation is also that the supply base and, you know, there's a lot of technical challenges in terms of on the upstream, the qualification of a supplier or a raw material is very specified for all the right reasons. Even if you didn't have the regulations in place, you need to do that, which then limits the number of suppliers that can fulfill those kinds of needs. And then downstream, the healthcare system, particularly in the U.S., is very fragmented, and it still has a ways to mature to the same level of yeah, transparency and efficiency that some other industries have been able to get to.
0: What kind of additional weak points do you think were exposed by the coronavirus pandemic?
1: Oh, well, on the raw material side, there's kind of the usual supply chain challenges of shipping things and things being held up because the flight wasn't available or those kinds of things that I think are affecting all industries. In addition, because so many companies are now focused on making vaccines and other therapeutics, a number of raw materials and certain nodes in the supply chain are kind of oversubscribed. And they often are in areas that you probably wouldn't think about a lot. So things like bags that hold media and raw materials and other things, or the irradiation outfits that are irradiating those bags. I think if you went back five years ago, that might not have been on the top of a risk register because they're a consumable that's not the most expensive part that people might not think about. But some of those things that are a little under the waterline are now things that we're all spending a lot of time focusing on.
0: What did we learn about sourcing vulnerabilities, about over-reliance on materials from outside the country, specifically China, but other places as well?
1: Actually, that hasn't really impacted us so much, so I'd, I'd probably just be sharing back what you are seeing in the press. We don't source much at all from China. On the global nature, we do have a global supply chain, both on the raw material and the CMO manufacturing side. It's working across time zones, but that's always been there. There's been a couple things around shipping that have been a little challenging, but for the most part, that hasn't been the main issue from our side.
0: So what has been the main issue, What you described before, or some of the subtleties that you brought up, or are there (laughs) other issues too that pop up?
1: Yeah, it's much more subtleties on specific components, specific raw materials that are now just have huge demand that in the past would not have. I will say one benefit of all of this, I think for us, is the very rapid innovation in figuring out how to store and distribute highly cold chain logistics. As you know, the Pfizer vaccine is stored in an ultra-cold environment, and that's also the way that our doses are stored. So I look forward to, over the next couple of years, there being new capabilities out there that might not have been there in the past.
0: The clinical nature of biotech, I take it it's a global thing. That must be an interesting challenge, just uh, coordinating and integrating your clinical efforts on a global basis. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, there's both the commercial production and supply chain part of getting doses to trials, and then there's the global trials themselves. And I I think they have different dynamics to them. On the supply chain side, it's managing across all the way from Europe to Singapore in terms of raw materials, import-export, navigating inventory, short expiration timelines, kind of all of the things that are... Just part of running a big global operation. Mm -hmm. And then on the clinical trials, as you know or, or may be aware of, is different regions of the world have different expectations on regulatory requirements, such as labeling. Labels might need to be quite different from one region to the other, which means that you need to make sure that those are done, that those are done correctly, and our doses are frozen, so you don't have the opportunity easily to go back and relabel things, so you have to get those done correctly for the right market the, the first time.
0: One of the big issues in all supply chains these days or one of the buzz phrases is digitization, the application of analytics and artificial yeah. intelligence and things like that to supply chain. How mature is the biotech industry in terms of embracing those aspects in the supply chain versus those of other industries today?
1: I think there are companies embracing it as a concept, but it's still extremely early days on making it a core part of the operations. And it's an area that I have a huge amount of enthusiasm for. And, and we are, even though we're still a pretty small company, working a lot on putting in place data analytics, particularly around things like our process and our raw materials and our suppliers and how changes from one batch to another, one supplier and another impact our outcomes, but looking at a roadmap of really end-to-end. On the one hand, it's kind of daunting because there's a lot of work to do. On the other hand, I think we have a really unique opportunity, and I think biotech in general does, is that many of the companies are pretty small. And so we do not come to this with a big legacy system that we have to work around. And that's what a lot of larger companies have to do. They've got an ERP system that's been in place for a couple decades. It wasn't built to be digital. It wasn't built to support machine learning. We have the opportunity to really partner with some of the best software platforms out there and build our processes and build our manufacturing or supply chain to use digital from the beginning, kind of like a digital native supply chain.
0: How long have you folks been around?
1: We've been around for a couple decades in different permutations of the company. The current therapies that we're working on have been in the works at at early stage clinical for probably 10 years or so. But the digital part in the supply chain is really relevant, I think, where we are right now and going forward, which is once you get to a more scaled production
0: and global supply chain you are an engineer therefore you have a lifetime engineers mindset i'm sure i wonder and, and and used to human beings solving problems do you ever kind of feel like you're looking over your shoulder at ai coming up on you and wondering hmm i wonder if this system is capable of taking over the from the human minds at these key decisions in running a supply chain do you have any concerns about that or are you pretty bullish on the future of ai for that purpose?
1: bullish i mean i don't know maybe if i were looking out 100 years i'd be worried about it taking over but i (laughs) i think there's so much that we don't know right now that we that just falls through the cracks because we don't get the data that we can make such better decisions if we have those and it will feed people who are decision makers and leaders and in operations right now i think it'll make us a lot more productive as an industry and a country that i'm not really worried about that
0: You're not worried about the role of the human going out altogether, simply accepting what comes out of that black box and and executing what the machine tells you to do.
1: Yeah, although it's not, I don't think it's that black and white. I I think we need to find ways that the machine, to use a, a simple term, helps identify, either take care of some of the small things so that people can think about the more complex things, and also provides a better set of information for the person to make decisions, not just the machine does it for you.
0: So what do you view as your biggest challenge from a supply chain operations perspective going forward at your company and the biotech supply chain in general?
1: I think in biotech, the timeframes are fairly long, right? In terms of you're in trials, you're submitting to regulators, and then you're waiting to get approval and then scaling up. And that can be several years. And while that's happening, you have to make choices on not only investments, but also on how you're designing your process and how you are designing your supply chain that needs to then play out three to five years from now at scale. And so if you were in the business of making lipsticks or something that have a much quicker cycle time, you can make quicker changes while you're in production. I think here you have to make some of those choices earlier. And that's requires a little bit more strategic
0: thinking. And just finally, do you think that post-pandemic, how are we going to approach the whole biotech supply chain? It sounds like you were not maybe directly affected by the pandemic and the work you do. But I'm wondering just, is there going to be any kind of a rethinking within the world of biotech as to how— Again, just where it sources, how it carries out trials, how it brings stuff to market, how it protects against potential future disruptions. Any thinking there on what the world might look like in biotech post-pandemic, at least until the next pandemic hits us?
1: Yeah, I do think people are going to be much more focused on in-country or in-market supply chains. So, for example, if the U.S. market is a major market, for you, which is the case for many companies, ensuring that you have production in the U.S., ensuring that at least your more significant or more complex suppliers are located in North America. I think that will be both from a logistics and maybe also political standpoint will be important for the the broader industry to think about. That said, in biopharmaceuticals, the market is global and there is a market in Asia. There is a market in Europe. And so we still have to think about production and, and supply chain in those areas. And then secondly, there are some of these areas of both supply and, and production are very specialized and it will be hard for them to pop up immediately in a particular part of the world that doesn't have them. And so thinking through how that shifts over time is going to be pretty important.
0: Maya Hansen of Athercys, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights into the world of supply chain and biotech and elsewhere. I really appreciate your being with me today. Thanks very much.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. Great to chat with you.
0: That was my conversation with Maya Hansen of Athercys, talking about the state of biotechnology supply chains. at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.